Thank you once again for listening to the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how Booking Protect can allow you to offer your guests a better buying experience, more peace of mind in their purchases, and how working with Booking Protect can create a new stream of revenue for you, visit them on their website at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com to find out how you can work with the global leaders in refund protection. My guest today is a young man by the name of Chris Asa. Chris is currently at Cal Poly Pomona, uh, and Chris is a longtime friend of the podcast, pre-podcast friend of the podcast. Uh, Chris is, along with Matt DeWire, who was on the previous episode, was one of two people who really helped me uh, flesh out the podcast idea, uh, do a couple test episodes, um, and is really instrumental in helping me get guests, all kinds of stuff as I was starting this podcast out. So at the time we were doing this, he was also changing jobs, moving from Florida A&M to Cal Poly Pomona. So now that he's a little more settled in his role, I wanted to have Chris on so we could talk about um, sports and college development programs, uh, his philosophy of sports marketing, the scope of sports marketing, um, how he's operating and growing uh, his development program in the L.A. market, which is uh, obviously heavily saturated. Uh, We talked about not emphasizing wins and losses. We talked about using different forms of social media. We talked about um, failure and having the courage to fail when you're t- in your career. Um, we talked about just really a ton of stuff. Um, you know, lots of jokes. Uh, we goofed off a little bit. We talked about the Rolling Stones, just kind of all over the place. But I think it was a really great conversation. I think you'll learn a lot from Chris. Um, and I hope you enjoy the conversation between me and Chris Asa on the Business of Fun. Let me welcome Chris Asa from Cal. Holly, Pomona, to the Business yeah. Fun Podcast. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Man, you know I'm living the dream over here at DC. Yeah. Living the dream. Um, but thank you for doing the podcast today. Um, you know, uh, I've had uh, Matt DeWire on recently, and I wanted to have yeah. you on because you guys were really helpful to me when I first started deciding to do the podcast. Um, you guys yeah. were uh, very helpful in helping me flesh out like how I wanted this thing to turn out, the kind of conversations maybe I wanted to have, some of the things I wanted to emphasize or think about, um, and like test it out to make sure that like um, I was just a moron, not a complete and total utter moron when I was hosting the podcast. <laughs> so you know, thank you for that, and I'm glad I'm able to get you on now because at the time that we were first starting to do this, you were in a transition. So if nobody knows about you, you just made a big move across the country from Florida to yes. California. Yeah. And this is like, so the, your position at Cal Poly Pomona is one that's entirely new to you. Um, can you yes. give us a little bit of a, a background on what you're up to these days? Yeah. So um, if you don't know, um, got my start a couple of, well, I've, I've been in this business probably going on 10 years now. Um, I, I was at uh, Alabama for a little while as a graduate assistant and then uh, did some time in minor league baseball down in Montgomery, Alabama, and then 
Um, moved to Tallahassee five years ago, almost six years ago now. Uh, worked at Florida State uh, as a uh, uh, in, in ticket sales and fundraising there, uh, did, got into premium sales towards the end of my time there. And then uh, about two and a half years ago, I got a call from Milton Overton, who is now the athletic director at Kennesaw State. But at the time, he was the uh, new AD at Florida A&M, which is right across the street from uh, FSU. And um, it went over there and was the associate AD for corporate sales, corporate and ticket sales there. And uh, so did sponsorships and, and ticketing and a uh, little bit of fundraising, developed an annual fund for them uh, that they had. And then um, now I am <laughs> all the way out in California at Cal Poly Pomona. I'm the associate AD for external relations, which um, is a big fancy term for um, mainly handling, you know, major gift fundraising, reaching out to alumni of our athletic programs, uh, developing sponsorships uh, for our programs and modernizing the offerings that we've got uh, for that. Um, I, part of my duties is running our annual golf tournament and, um, I have a hand in, uh, kind of helping at, we have a, a working group here with, um, our, our marketing and sports information group, um, dealing with, uh, getting our story out to the LA area, which is a unique challenge that we can, uh, discuss here in a little bit. And, um, you know, just basically having a hand in all the stuff that a fan or an alumnus would see of our department and really kind of creating a uh, an environment where uh, athletics becomes more of a uh, feature of our campus and more of a community player in this very crowded market out here. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, anytime I get an opportunity to talk to somebody who's in a, um, a saturated market, right? So like LA yeah. or Miami <laughs> or, you know, any place where there's a lot going on is that yeah. there is a uh, challenge yes. driven, uh, you know, built around attention, right? Because I don't know the exact number today and I don't even know if it matters because once it gets a certain point, it's just like, it's all noise, you know, that the average mm-hmm. person, consumer is inundated with about, you know, f- approximately 5,000, probably more at this point, uh, you know, bits of advertising or noise or whatever you want to call it each and every day. Yes. You stated that, you know, being in the LA market that, you know, it's saturated and it's noisy. Um, you know, and I know that you're very new in this role, but how have you, mm-hmm. have you worked to get people's attention? Because I mean, I know the name of the, I need to know the name of the school and I would imagine it's not unfamiliar to people. Yet knowing the name and then also associating it with a specific vision or idea are two yeah. different things. Well, what's what's unique about our school <laughs> is we have, as far as our athletic department is concerned, it's never been really a primary focus of the campus. Um, in fact, some of our students were kind of shocked that we had a basketball program, for example, or a soccer program, for example. So, you know, me and the other people that have come in this year have kind of gone, okay, well, we need to solve what our problems are internally before even going out into the community. We got to have a good student (laughs) presence here. We've got to have, you know, uh, professors knowing what's going on when, when students come to tour the campus, um, making sure that those tours come through our facility. Um, You know, (laughs) just so that, you know, they know that there's some games going on because Cal Poly Pomona right now, it's it's interesting. Our we were just announced yesterday for the fall semester. We are um, number 10 in the Division two Learfield Directors Cup. That's pretty good. 
you know, we've had we, we had our our men's soccer team go to the final four this year. We had our men's cross country team um, make it all, all the way to the nationals and place twenty fifth out of out of the thirty four teams that were there, which is pretty good for a, a school of our size. Our women's volleyball team um, made it all the way to the uh, conference championship game and made it into the NCAA tournament. Be on, along the way, beating the number ten and the number one team in the country during the regular season. Um, just we've got a remarkable story to tell, and it, we just got to we've got to tell it effectively internally before uh, turning it outward. And so that's kind of been our focus over the fall is you know just getting with our constituents on campus, playing the political game a little bit, and 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 leveraging relationships on campus so that hey. Go, going to housing, for example, and saying, hey, we need to put up some advertisements for our games. Can we do that? Going to uh, our associated students uh, group and saying, hey, can you help us promote X, Y and Z this week? You know, putting signs up on campus. Hey, it's game day um, and, and making sure that we cut through the clutter on campus before we try and, and, and do it outside. So, yeah, I, I think that's interesting because, you know, it, it seems like a challenge of branding. Right. Because. Yeah. You know, you know, the question that initially came to mind was, do you, is, you know, is the campus largely commuter based, right? But then you talked about, well, okay, so it is. I was going to say, because mm-hmm. you talked about housing and things, um, but because yeah. I know that, you know, a commuter school is going to offer an entirely new set of challenges. But right. one of the things that I guess really is interesting to me, because I know this is, a, uh, we have a, a, a common friend, uh, Joe Rickson, who's at Seton yeah. Hall. And Joe spent a lot of time thinking about, number one, how to get people involved. Uh, in school when they're there. And then second, you know, once they've like started to matriculate and move on to be young adults and young professionals, how to make sure that they stay close. Right. And you're dealing with a very similar problem, except for the fact that you're having to establish a brand now, today. Um, yes. You know, so like how have, you know, how that, I mean, to me, it sounds like a big challenge. How, what are some of the steps and like, how have you approached that challenge? It's it, it, there's there's so many different ways we've kind of approached it. Um, we've gotten a lot more active where the students are, for example, um, being on on social media and the like, uh, really ramping up the amount of posts that we're doing, um, and hitting. You know, for me, I'm a I'm a Twitter guy, right? Um, but a lot of our students we've discovered are Instagram based. So we've, you know, bulked up our Instagram presence um, and really kind of focused on that, not doing much in, in terms of Snapchat because we feel like that, you know, in the next few years will kind of go the way of Vine. And, you, you know, it, it, it has if it hasn't already kind of moved. away. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're I mean, we're still using Twitter, of course, because there there are a lot of people on there. But a lot of it is just, it, it, you know, focusing on on Instagram and then, you know, going where the students are and putting our message in those places in the physical world. So, you know, if they're going across the quad on campus, we've got a frame set up. You know, here's what's going on in athletics this week. Um, we are working with a local sign company to help us with um, putting out at the parking lots some signage, you know, just detailing what the schedule is. <laughs> you know, just simple things like that uh, can make a really big impact. And, you know, we've done uh, tailgates uh, in front of our basketball games and our volleyball games. You, you know, hey, if you come to the game and you show your student ID, you're going to get free food. So, 
I mean, what student doesn't like that? I mean, come food. on, right? <laughs> yeah. who, who doesn't want free food when you're in college? Exactly. So, it, you know, it's just kind of hitting them where they are um, has been really important. And, you know, making sure that, you know, when we've got a big game, we let our university leadership know. Um, our uh, vice president for student affairs, Dr. Jarnigan, has been very supportive this year. Our president, Dr. Uh, Coley, has been very supportive. When we've had big matches, they have been right there on the sideline cheering our guys on. And when you've got that kind of leadership and you show that athletics matters to the leadership of the university, that feeds <laughs> over time. Um, nothing is ever going to be built, you know, in a day. This, this is going to be a multi year process to, to get things going. But we, the, the fundamentals here are so good that it, it you know, as long as we, it, as one of my mentors says, block and tackle, well, we're going to, we're going to do well, you know, it, but it just takes, it, it, it takes that time and that effort, but it's, it's all about hitting the students where they are long story short. Yeah, no. And, and have you started to see results yet? You know, how, how much of an impact have, have some of these actions taken or, it, or I mean, it, had, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it has been, uh, I'll say it's been hit and miss, you know, for for those games that are, are here on campus, especially for basketball, um, when we do a pack the stands night or something like that, it's it's been really effective. It, it, as long as we're, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, X being having the tailgate beforehand, Y being having signage up on campus in the student center, all that stuff, uh, sending out. You know, it's, it, you know, we have to follow all the steps, obviously. But, you know, when we do that and we we have all the pieces in place, the students typically come out and we, you know, get, you know, around a thousand kids out to the game between that and the, the uh, fans that show up. I mean, we're we've seen an uptick this year. Now, is it where we want it to be? No, because our arena holds twenty five hundred people. <laughs> but, you know, it, if we give them an, we feel like once we get them in the door, once we give them an atmosphere, and and they realize that it's a fun activity to go to, they're going to tell their friends, and their friends are going to want to come, and then it just kind of it kind of builds upon itself. And, and but that's it's on us to make sure that that atmosphere is there week in and week out. Well, let me ask you this because it seems to be an interesting point, right? You said your your attendance has jumped up to a thousand, you know, about a thousand yeah. for like basketball and things, and you sit, you have a twenty five hundred seat arena, and one yeah. of the challenges across the college sports landscape is the problem, the challenge of getting people to attend. Um, how much of an increase is that thousand people from what you had, what was happening previously? First? It's about three hundred people, and, and I mean, I I say. I say a thousand people. That's not our average. Um, a thousand people is for the the big matches that mm-hmm. we're really, really, really hitting hard. We're getting anywhere from, you know, last year we were getting around four hundred people on, on average, and for the big games we're getting seven hundred. So it's it's an it's an uptick, but it's not it's not a huge uptick, and it's something that we're going to continue to evaluate the strategy to to make it better. Obviously, because I mean, it's it's a moving target. <laughs> yeah, but I want to kind of push back a little bit on this because I think this is instructive of people. You know, number yeah. one, it's like you got to understand where you are before you yeah. can understand where you're trying. Before you can understand how to get where you need to go. Um, yeah. So, if you average, and, and I know maybe you probably don't have the exact number in front of you, but you said 400 people a game last year for regular yeah. games and 700 for the the big ones. That's about what's like a third more. I mean, that's a lot of people. 
That's a huge. Yeah. That's a huge jump. Yeah. So don't discount that at all. But then on yeah. average, if you have four hundred people for like an average game, you know what? What are you looking at now? It's it's probably sitting around five hundred. So then it's twenty five percent. That's that's a tremendous yeah. growth, Chris. And yeah. and I and I only I'm emphasizing this for one specific reason, right? It's because the challenges of getting people into the building or getting people to pay attention are so great. And yet if right. you're you're adding twenty or twenty five percent, even if you said ten percent, I'd be like, That's fantastic because any most businesses will be killed for ten percent growth in customers, right? Um yeah. you know, besides this like sort of like, you know, all these creativities, you know, that you've applied to generating uh attendance. You know, is there like some kind of key philosophical thing that you've done that's kind of changed the way, sort of the approach? You know, and what I was looking for specifically is something that like anybody who's listening here that's um, at a college can maybe apply to their own program. Because I know this is like a universal issue. Yeah. Well, it's my my philosophy on anything just boils down to simply effectively communicating your story. And if it's a compelling story and being in college athletics, it's naturally a compelling story because you have so many uh, kids that are, you know, going to school, getting a degree, having to practice, you know, having to balance all these different things. And many of them may not have had somebody before them kind of show them the way. They may be first generation college students. They may be coming here from uh, from an international basis, that kind of thing. Um you know, it's just effectively telling that story that that not only uh, are the sports fun to watch, but these kids are incredible people doing these these <laughs> incredible things, telling telling that. And, and then just creating a fun atmosphere for the kids in the stands, uh, you know, and, and communicating that piece, too, is important. So it, to me, it all boils down to creating a creating atmosphere that people want to be a part of, but also, you know, it, 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 it all boils down to the in stadium plus the story is, is the key. And, and effectively communicating that is one of the most difficult things, but simple things that you can do. Um, it, Cause there's so many different channels that you have to do not only social media wise, but email uh, video. Now, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it all boils down to, you know, getting that out there and it's, it's difficult, but it, but as long as you're, like I said, blocking and tackling it, you, you can make some real inroads very quickly. Now it's sustaining is the issue, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but usually, I, I mean, this is what I've found, right? Is like, I mean, you brought it up a couple of times and, and I'm pretty sure I know the mentor. Um, yeah. I think we, I think he's a friend of both of ours. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, that blocking and tackling metaphor is extremely powerful. Right. Because yes. over the years, no matter what industry I've worked with, no matter what um, where I've focused my energy, it's some of the basics of marketing that have made me yes. successful. Right. And, and, you yeah. know, and I think sometimes we, we lose sight of this. Right. And this is a very important point. So I'm going to belabor this probably a second with which mm-hmm. is these basics of you know, basic blocking tackle basics of marketing are easy to discard. Because yeah. of the some whatever is new and sexy, like you brought up a bunch of them, you know, like you were talking about Snapchat, right? Um, what was it tw- not twelve, not eighteen months ago? Snapchat was going to save the world, right, for right. marketers, right? And now, eighteen months later, they've gone through an IPO, their stocks crashed, and um, they're nowhere to be seen. 
Um, right. and, and I didn't fact check what, where their stock is, but just from like the press I've seen, if it hasn't, isn't in the tank and it isn't dying on the vine, um, it sure seems like it, um, right. you know, um, you, you know, so how do you reinforce that with, you know, with your team and with the people you're working with, you know, that we do need to focus on the basics and, you know, how do you make sure that that becomes something that is every day, the focus of an organization? Because I, again, I'm belaboring this because I know that as much as people say, oh, yeah, we have this, you know, these three, four processes that are really, really important in place and they're strong. A lot yeah. of times if you poke at it a little bit, it's not the case, right? Right. And well, so how, I, do you, how do you make that happen? I, I am really lucky in that I don't have to make it happen. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got a really good – marketing director here, um, Mike Farrell, who does a fantastic job day in, day out. Uh, he, he sees, he, he's been several different places as well. And he, he knows exactly what has to happen. And, you know, we just kind of chat about it and go, Hey, what do you think about this? And he comes up with a couple of ideas and we run with it. You know, um, our sports information director, Tyler Loby, he's, he's a new guy. He's, he's always trying to, uh, push the story of the student athletes constantly. So, you, you know, it's, it's not really about pushing. It's just about having the people in place know what needs to be done. <laughs> and, and luckily we've got a good team here that does that. And we just, we, we workshop a few things uh, together and it really, we, we just try and make it home and, you know, whatever, you know, if something doesn't work, we go back to the drawing board and try a different solution. I mean, it's, it's a lot of trial and error, but, but the, the most important thing is, you know, we're, we're all on the same page internally. And so it doesn't, you know, when you've got a dynamic like that, it, it, it makes it really easy to kind of come up with ways to do the right thing at the right time. And that's basically how we've done it here so far. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this too, because you brought up another interesting idea and you know, I mean, we know each other long enough that like, uh, yeah, that you know, this is not what I'm going to ask you is not a surprise to you. Is, mm-hmm. um, but you 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 talked a lot about being willing to take risks. You know, you, yes. You know, move fast and break things would be the Silicon Valley um, sort of mantra that for this. Yet, all too often, uh, throughout sports or entertainment or mm-hmm. any or just really any business at this point, um, taking those kind of risks and being willing to th- try things that might not work. Is, right, uh, because seems to be uh, becoming less and less um, consistently a uh, consistently applicable idea. Mm-hmm. But yet, you said that, that that you guys are willing to do that. Yeah. Again, I know you said that people you you're dealing with, you have the right people in place. Right. How do you still manage that? Because I know that like doing things that are uncomfortable that might not work. It's still, you're still, you know, even if you're comfortable with the process of doing that, yeah. how do you still gain the courage? Because, you know, it, it there is a certain form of courage involved in doing things that might not work. Well, it, it, I think it boils down to the fundamental question. What's, and it's something that um, I apply when I talk to donors. It's when I talk to sponsors. It's when I take a career risk or a uh, strategy risk or anything like that, I always ask myself this question, what is the worst thing that can happen if we proceed here? It's, it's just as simple as that. I mean, you, you go to a, go, you know, if you're, you're worried about uh, 
like for example, making a sale, you know, and you're, you're, you're on the verge of making this big sale and you're, you're kind of nervous about making the ask, ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen here? And usually they might say no, they might say no. And it is, is that the worst thing that, has ever happened? No. Is anybody going to die? No. Is anybody going to get hurt? No. So you, 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 when you, when you think about things and boil it down to that simple thing of what's the worst thing that happens here? Uh, okay. A few people, a few extra people don't show up tonight. Okay. Well, we'll try something else next time. And if that works, we'll keep doing it and we'll add a little piece to it. So it, you know, I, I, and frame it necessarily as as risk taking as much as just looking at your strategy and and saying you know what we're not we're not going to lose money doing this you know it's not going to you know add exponentially to our workload it's not going to overload us or anything like that so why not try it well i think you know if it doesn't we can when you get to that point you've you've taken the pride and ego out of it so if it doesn't work, you can admit it doesn't work <laughs> and you can keep moving. Right. Um, it, you get you get a lot uh, boiled up into, you know, this has to work or else that's not productive for anybody. And so, you know, I just I, that that's kind of how I, I manage pretty much everything in my life is it, what's the worst can happen. OK. Well, fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and the way you explain it is help. I think it's at least helpful to me. Right. Um, because yeah. one of the challenges that I think people face, right. And you know, you, you I think it's probably, it's probably healthy to not look at it as like risk, right. It's just like, I'm going to, I'm making, I'm testing something. And, and you know, yeah. it's like a hypothesis, right. Like yeah. if um, in science, right. Not, not most things don't work. Right. But failure is, is a, in, you know, it's a it's sort of something people are comfortable with. And I think that um, too often in business, we think that everything has to be, has to be a success or a failure. I, I think there's right. a cult that celebrates all the successes. You never see the failures. I mean, I can't tell you how many things I've screwed up over the years. But Well, that, to me, that's a byproduct of living in a social media age. We are completely bombarded by a carefully curated story from every individual person that we know, you know, um, to the point of, you know, if you're on Facebook and somebody's got this long, uh, uh, Hey, I'm having a bad day post. It, it's, it's seen as a negative thing, <laughs> you know, and it, you, you, you visualize it and oh, that person's complaining. I don't want to see that. Well, no, somebody's having a bad day, you know, <laughs> and, um, it, it's always interesting to me that, you know, everybody on Instagram is living this, living their best life, for example. Oh yeah. You're, you're, but, but what you don't realize is you're watching their highlight reel and you're not seeing all the, you know, sometimes even tears coming down because they're busting their butt and maybe they didn't see results that day. And it was really important to them. You know, it's, you're not seeing them. Like, for example, you know, you as my social media group. friend, you know very well that I live a very dull life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it's just interesting how all that uh, to me, how all that works together. And, we're, you know, we're all all worried about success and failure. Um, it, to me, it, it's kind of like, you know, you talk about Nick Saban a lot in your uh in your weekly newsletter, you know, 
don't worry about the success and failure. Worry about what you're doing right now. <laughs> it was, was this one thing that you did a success? Okay. Then the next thing, what is that process of success and, and boil it down to the technique, the, you know, everything down to the minutia and the other stuff takes care of itself. You know, if you're successful along the way, the success will come. You know, it's, it's very simple. <laughs> right. And the thing about that's emphasized here and, you know, the point I was trying to hopefully make, and I don't know yeah. if it came across or not, was like, you know, there's risk in not doing something. Right. Like yes. that, that's just as risky as trying something that fails. Um, yes. And I think that Nick Saban with the process is very informative. Right. It's like whatever I'm doing now, I want to do the best I can at. Yes. Right. And I mean, that's basically what the process comes down to is like, and then when I'm done with that, uh, I've done, I've, I've done my best. Right. But I got to be able to put that aside and move on to the next thing that I can do. Knowing yeah. that we're always going, that we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to screw up at something, right? Unless we're not trying and that there's, a, you know, there's just a certain amount of risk that comes in getting out of bed in the morning. A, right. no, another one, and I don't know if I've used this one nearly as much, and this is probably the first time I'm going to use it on the podcast, but Tom Peters wrote a book earlier this year called The Excellence Dividend. Um, if any of you don't know who Tom Peters is, he's the guy who sort of um, founded modern uh, management thinking in the business book um, industry with his book with, I think it's Robert Waterman, um, mm -hmm. In Search of Excellence, right? And so he yeah. wrote The Excellence Dividend this year, and somewhere buried deep in there, the whole book's about excellence. But uh, I think Tom defines success as success is the next five minutes. And I think that's really, um, you know, it's very informative when we think about, um, you know, how to tackle some of these challenges, especially ones that seem really not to have um, any easy solutions. Because most of the time at, at this point, the easy solutions have become ingrained parts of our process. Um, if, 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 you know, in most organizations, uh, not, it's not completely a hundred percent true because nothing's completely a hundred percent true all the time. But the, I think the challenge is, is like going like, Hey, I'm going to try this. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, maybe I'm going to put a little bit of energy behind it, knowing that it might not work, you know, and, yeah. and, and understanding that excellence is pushing myself for the next five minutes to get outside of my comfort zone, to do something that might not work. That yeah. might not pay off. But the, on the flip side is if I do the same thing over and over and over again, I know that I know what's going to happen. Um, and spoiler alert, it's that with each uh, iteration of doing the same thing over and over and over again, it becomes a little less effective, right? Over time, right. you plateau. And over time, yeah. once you hit that plateau, you start to backslide. And I, I was having a conversation before I got on the podcast with you with a guy called John Robbins who was um, – uh, short was and had, who owned the short track racing league, um, and he's a good friend of mine now. Um, and we were talking about that same thing because he runs a leadership organization in Indianapolis. As that once you start backsliding, you don't know that you're going to be able to overcome that inertia to get back to where you were. So the thing yeah. is, is like while you're on the upslope and growing, take those risks then when you have positive momentum going for yeah. you. I mean, because you don't, because once you start backsliding, it, it, it ends up you almost have to go all the way back down to bedrock to build again because you got to strip one thing away. You know, it becomes a negative feedback loop and it, it, you've got to constantly be on your toes. <laughs> yeah, a self fulfilling prophecy of failure if you're yeah. not careful. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's it's it's always better 
to take a positive, proactive action than it is to react. I, you yeah, know, I, th- I, mean, I think, um, you know, you know, and and that's, uh, you know, just speaking to my own career and my own life, it's uh, I've always done better when I've instigated change than when I've allowed change to in- be forced upon me. And I think exactly that. Hopefully, I don't know if I've ever, you know, I've ever had the opportunity to articulate that to. Uh, the podcast audience, but it's really, really true. Um, you know, yeah. it, and, it, and again, I think it's if you become willing to try things and understand that, like, not everything you don't have to have a batting average of a hundred because no. nobody does. I think it becomes a lot. I mean, for me, it becomes easier knowing that, like, um, you know, the ideas are just, you know, they come and go. Right? There's yeah. um, there's a guy called James Altucher. Who I think is like uh, he wrote a book I think called Choose Yourself, um, and uh, you know I've never read the book so I can't speak to the veracity or the um, quality of the book, but I do listen to the podcast sometimes because I find it very interesting. And he talked about how when he was at his lowest point, he made himself into a uh, idea machine, right? Which is like, and it was just like basically having the courage of just writing that, like coming up with a question or something that he was thinking about and coming up for ten with ten ideas on how to solve that. And I think what you've talked about, and you didn't say it specifically, so I'm definitely stepping on your toes here. Um, But, you know, take that same sort of approach to any of your challenges. And I think you'll see that, like, when if you know that there's like a bunch of different ways to tackle any one problem, you become less wed to one idea. Right. And and I think that could be a healthy attitude to have. Yeah. And it's helpful, too. And you'll understand this being in thinking about organizational theory and stuff like that, you know, if you're not wed to one particular way of doing things, it makes being adaptable, especially in a college situation, a lot better. Um, Cause sometimes you'll come into a situation thinking you've got an answer for something and it doesn't fit with the campus culture or whatever. And you've got to be able to, uh, you know, adapt to that and be, be humble enough to adapt to that. <laughs> um, and that's not always easy to do um, as, as an administrator or anything like that. So, you know, yeah, take take I guess I would add an addendum. Yeah, take the risk, but also be cognizant of who you're working around and 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 not force them too far outside the company. You know, push the envelope, obviously, but not force them too much outside the, the box there. Um, that's, that's one thing I've discovered over time is, you, you know, you talk about the smash things quickly kind of thing. That's not, the, <laughs> that's not the best way of getting results necessarily, but there is a, a balance to be had, um, you, you know, with that risk taking, uh, I don't, I don't want people to go out and go, you know, I'm going to, you know, reinvent the wheel. Don't, re- don't reinvent the wheel. That, that is the danger of, of yeah. encouraging people to be uh, willing to take risks is that they, they all of a sudden discard everything that was like, you know, some of the uh, boundaries that they had created to make sure they don't yeah. blow up the whole, the, the whole building. Yeah. That, yeah so that's there, a good there, point. <laughs> there, there is, there is something there that you got to kind of walk that thin line for sure. Um, but it's, but again, it's all about, you know, making people comfortable with what you're trying and explaining the rationale behind it. And that breaks down those barriers and, and breaks down those defense mechanisms that come with risk, <laughs> risk taking. Um, and that's something I've had to learn uh, o- over the course of the last few years is, you know, I, 
yes, this may be a good idea, but it might not be the right fit or the right time to do that. And, and understanding when it is the right time to take a particular risk is something that is important as you, you know, build, uh, who you are as a, as an administrator and who you are as an organization. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a really great point because I think sometimes, and I know this specifically when dealing with organizations on their strategy, which is like the strategic Mm -hmm. planning process becomes a one-time event. And and then the thing goes on the shelf. Um, Really actually it's just a PDF these days or, um, but most of the time it goes into cyber, it gets cyber dust on it, whatever, because it never gets looked at again. The the most effective form of strategic thinking is like set yourself a couple priorities, right? And figure out how to manage uh, what you're going to, what success is going to look like for you. And then like schedule ahead of time, you know, every month, every three months, whatever it is that I'm going to look at these things and figure out number one, What's working? What's not? Does the goal still work? Is that still what I should be paying attention to? And then taking action accordingly, either by like, you know, fixing what's uh, wrong, um, doubling down or improving on what's working or saying we shouldn't be paying attention to this anymore because it just doesn't fit and stopping that. Right. I mean, that you know, to me, if I could get people more people to think about this and this doesn't preclude you from going long term, it just means that like going I got this five-year goal and I'm going to know it when I get there. No, it's like uh, taking that long-term strategic goal and making sure that every so often you're going like, does this still fit? And does the asking yourself, is that five-year long-term goal still the thing we should be focusing on, right? You know, just not letting everything happen because that's the way it's always been done or because of the inertia involved in, you know, a large, in any organization, large or small for that yeah. matter. Absolutely. (laughs) So let me ask you this now, because we talked a lot about just like sort of the marketing and building a brand Mm -hmm. and doing some of these things. One other interesting thing that's come up in a couple conversations that I've had here is um, I know one of your, the jobs you're tasked with is development, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the things that's been interesting to watch unfold, and I think it's a challenge that's going to play out over the next couple of years for a lot of people is with the new tax law has Mm -hmm. changed the way that donations are accounted for um, to nonprofits across the board, right? Um, yeah. And it's had a really um, big impact on sports because for a lot of times it was easy to attach a donation to buying tickets to something, right? right. Um, you know, I, and I know it's going to be – the impact on you is going to be much different than it would have been if I was talking to you when you were at FSU or when you were at Florida A&M. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, what have been some of the impacts of the new tax law on you – um, knowing that probably you may not even have felt the impacts yet because you've been spent so much time focusing just on rebuilding and getting the basics in place to rebuild an entire culture around this athletic department. Well, here is, you know, being in division two athletics and especially not having a football program here, it, the, the challenges will not be as much, but even, you know, I, I wrote about this, um, in a, uh, NATO corner in the NACTA magazine earlier this year, it doesn't have to affect you if you don't want it to, you know, uh, my, my thing is your fans are still going to be there. They're still going to want to see the team. It doesn't have to take your annual fund donations away. Just tell a different story. If, if, you know, you've got somebody that was donating for the primary purpose of deduction. Yeah, it might affect them. Um, but, on the whole, they're still going to want to see 
<laughs> you know, the, the, the team that they want to see, whether that's Florida State or Alabama or whoever. Um, I'm fortunate here in that most of our gifts are entirely philanthropic. And by, th- by that, you still get, you know, tax deduction for donating to our athletic department. Um, now, what the challenge is for us, though, is if you've got a major gift donor and they typically give to five organizations or a foundation typically gives to five organizations, they might end up trimming their list down to three. And so the challenge for us is going to be making sure we're in that top two so that we're still guaranteed to see that money. But again, as long as we are effective in telling our story and why we are worthy of still receiving those donations, I don't view it as a problem. Have you run into similar thinking out there? I I just don't see where it, it, it should be a big deal. It depends, right? Um, you know, I think you, you've you put it in a really good, uh, framed in a really nice way, right? And it's about a story, right? And the story, yeah. you're just telling a different story. Um, and I've noticed that you've used that um, a lot. So I yeah. want to come back to story in a second because <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, – you know, again, I think we probably share a similar philosophy on the story thing, and you you may have even picked up some of my philosophy, which feeds into this, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, back to your question for me is is I think one of the challenges that we're overcoming is that the tax law and the implications that the tax law is having on development funds and the way yeah. that um, athletic departments and universities and organizations, just period, are 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 getting donations. Is it is that the story as well? And yeah. in too many instances, the story that the organizations are telling themselves about the implications on the tax bill on their ability to raise money, um, it says something to the extent of we're completely screwed because of this, as opposed to like, well, we still do valuable work. And even mm-hmm. without the benefit of the tax deduction, we still need your support to do this. Yeah. You know, before I think the story was, it was easier. It was, it's an easier story to tell. We do good work, whatever that work is. Um, and you get a tax deduction. So now it means now it's more yes. important that you understand not just that you do good work, but what it is, why it's important, not just to the people you're helping, but to the people who might give to you and tell that story. I yeah. Mean, that's I mean, I think that that's what it is. Um, you know, it's, it's, it begins with the story that you tell yourself, because if you're not right. telling yourself the right story, you can't tell the world the right story. Right. And, and exactly. I think that's a big, big challenge to, for well, people to overcome. And there's a tendency, I call it kind of chicken little tendency, when anything big changes, the sky is falling, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, my thing is, wait a minute, let's let's look at this. Okay. <laughs> what are, what are the fundamental pieces here? And if the fundamental pieces don't change and just one little ancillary thing that may be a motivator may not be, you know, to me, that's a 50, 50 shot that is going to affect it. Yeah. You know? And I think, I think what will happen, right. As far as, you know, what this tax law means to people um, is that a lot of organizations, when they go out to raise money, are going to have to do what mo- what it should be a basic tenet of any marketer, and that's understanding the worldview of the people that they're trying to reach. 
Yeah. And understanding that everybody's telling themselves a story that's based upon mm-hmm. their worldview and that no matter what you believe, right, you being the organization, your ability to change their worldview is almost impossible, right? It, it, it could happen, yeah. but it's going to be time-consuming and expensive. And then it's a 50-50 shot at best, right? It's a, right. It's a crap shoot. Um, you know, and I think that the biggest impact, I'm hopeful here, that it's going to have is it's going to make people look at the way they're conducting their businesses so that they right. can become more effective at telling stories. Because, yeah. I mean, I think probably if there's one key to the podcast here is that marketing is really just a is a mechanism to tell a story, right? Yeah. And that's that people like us will do things like this. And that you have to make sure that what no matter what you're doing, you're telling the story to your audience that you want to tell them. Yeah, it might you know, and it uh, unfortunately I beat the 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 dead horse of discounts to death, and yeah. I'm going to continue. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, but, because it tells a story, and that story yeah. is that we don't value our product and our service. Right? Why should you? Exactly. You might you might not recognize it, but that's what it's telling the the audience, right? All of yeah. this stuff about like, well, you know, um, you know, the, one of the big discussions, or you know, depending on where, where you sit, is like, well, what role does the secondary market play in the in the world of tickets, right? And you know, and like, well, they're driving down the prices of this, and they're driving down the prices of that, or they've trained people to mm-hmm. to do you know buy last minute, and I would say that. If that's the way the story you're telling yourself, you're telling yourself the wrong story. Exactly. Because the secondary market is not good or bad; it just is, right? Yeah, if, it's just if, there. If you yeah, are, same if, thing. if it is, you know, if people are waiting to the last minute to decide whether or not they are going to go, that's because you, at the starting point, you've told them a story that they don't buy and they don't believe in. So then they've yeah. gone to go find a story that more fits their worldview, right? If you think that the secondary market is driving down the prices of your of what you're do of your what you're offering, again, I don't know that that's the right story, right? Because obviously, what your audience is telling you is that what you're offering them is only this valuable, right? And so, right. if you want to extract more value, if you want to be rewarded for the work you're doing, then you need to create more value for your customers. Number one, so they're willing to spend more money on it. And number two, so they, they'll buy in advance. I mean, yeah, you know, I've got, I got on the, these are just stories. List. Yeah. Uh, this, I've got a good example of that. I got on the presale list for the Rolling Stones tour that's going next year. And we, I texted you about it and I'm still shocked. I was in the presale two days before that went on sale, get your Rolling Stones tickets for the Rose bowl. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll go see the, stones at the Rose Bowl. That sounds like a good time. I get in there. I put my little code in there and I say, give me the best price ticket. Best price ticket was a nosebleed seat in the opposite end zone for $350. That's pre-sale. That's before it goes out to the general public. Now I love the Rolling Stones. I don't love them enough to spend $800 on, on tickets for two people to sit in a nosebleed seat in the end zone. The value is just not there for me, <laughs> you know? So uh, what am I going to do? I'm going to wait until we get a little bit closer. I'm going to go on vivid. I'm going to go on StubHub, 
and I'm going to see if I can find something, you know, more in line with my, my price point, which is for any concert that I go to around a hundred, 150 bucks. You know, I make a good living, but I don't make enough to where uh, a date night is, is going to cost me a thousand dollars. It's just not happening. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, so as of right now, I'm priced out of the Rolling Stones and that's okay. And I'm okay with it. But the, the story that I have is one that I, I stick to. So, you know, yeah, no, it, it, Stones it, want me to come to their show. They need to lower their prices just a touch. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, or, and if not, and, and here's the thing too, right? It's, um, it's maybe likely that they, they can fill the entire arena with that, uh, you know, at those price and, points. And, and they might. And I'm okay with that. And if they can, just, God bless I'll them. I'll watch it on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? If they do, they can, if they can, definitely do it, right? I mean, because I mean, yeah. this is probably their last tour, right? Um, but, it's got to be. Uh, you know, <laughs> it has to be, right? Yeah. They can't go on forever, can they? But, and, but, and here's where the challenge, like on something like this lies to me, Um it's in terms of discounts and a lot of the discussions that I end up finding myself in the middle of best for better or for worse is that if you, if you're saying that the, the, the furthest seat from the stage is going to be 350, 400 bucks after fees. Right. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, right. You've, you've sold it to the presale people who like in theory may, uh, should be make constitute some of your best fans, right. Some of your most dedicated people, some of the people that, uh, you know, are going to, you know, Buy a ticket, buy merch, like do the whole thing, mm-hmm. go through the whole thing with you. And and you charge them, like you start out charging them 400 bucks. What happens if Chris, you buy the $400 ticket and then six weeks later, because you're the only person that bought, bought it and they drop those tickets to 50 bucks. How are you going to feel? Uh, abused. <laughs> right. <laughs> and at that point, are you ever going to trust the brand again? The answer is no. no. The answer is no. You know, it's, yeah. it's, and you know, my, my wife had a similar situation with, um, you know, like a retail outlet recently. I mean, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, right? It's like, let me reward the people who are I'm closest to, you know, who care yeah. the most, um, you know, but, or just any of this stuff is just, it's a story, right? And, mm-hmm. and your story needs to. You know, and then maybe my maybe my philosophy of marketing is out of step with the world we live in today. At which point, if that's true, maybe I'm just you know maybe I'm just gonna like pack it all up and go to Europe, where, where I think they like align with me a lot more, a lot better. Is um, you know, you got to treat your customers with respect. Yes, you have to uh, you know add value to your customers' lives. You can't just extract value, and. You you, you kind of just got to have empathy for people because mm-hmm. you know they're not the people aren't ATMs you know it's it's everything about marketing and business is it's, it's people doing business with other people and if it's not I, you know I, I don't want to be involved is probably the, the case. exactly but, yeah. yeah um you know and I think that maybe covers our uh, covers the storytelling angle I think from our from our point of view. For sure. I, I just have one more point to make as it relates sure. to the tax law absolutely, and, and storytelling. You know, politics to me is also a, a form of mass marketing and mass storytelling. Isn't it interesting that a full year after this tax law was signed into place, there is still confusion as to what it means to people, how it affects their bottom line, 
all the way across the board. It's not just people like me, you and me. It's people like businesses out there. Like, how do I how do I give now? What I don't know how this impacts me. And we got accountants out there that don't understand it. And it's like that's that that's a that's a failure of leadership in my mind that, that we're a full year out and we don't know what it means. And we're still, we're, we're all taking a wait and see approach just to see what, what happens. It's, it's remarkable. So that's that I'm going to get off that soapbox, but it, it, that has always struck me as, as interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a valid point at the point that uh, I, I stay uh, apolitical. Yeah. On the podcast here, but politics is just a form of mass marketing. So, and, and it's a story, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and again, um, stories drive everything, right? Which I think yeah. is um, kind of been the point of our, our entire podcast, even though I did not know we were going to spend so much time talking about stories, but yeah. I mean, th- th- this is pretty much what the, the whole gist of it is, right? It's like, yeah, you, you're in a new role where you're creating um, a culture around your athletic department and that's a story, yeah. right? And your job, the first story you need to tell is like how to get uh, students involved. And from there, yeah. you're able to build a community of people who contribute and can and give back to the college because that's what people yeah. like us do. And everything yeah. that we do is a story. And I think that keeping that storytelling mindset at the forefront of our thinking can really be the difference between success or failure no matter what area – of a sports and entertainment and uh, hospitality we touch, um, yeah. you know, no matter what area of business we touch, um, you know, and, and so I thank you for taking the time to talk about this, but before I let yeah. you go, how can people find you on the internet? Well, you can, f- uh, most of the time you can find me on Twitter. Uh, like I said, it's at Chris Asa one. Um, you can reach out to me on Facebook. Um, I, you know, make make friends there i'm on linkedin as well so uh just any of your favorite social platforms just reach out to me um we have a uh this is a shameless plug for something else that i do but we have a uh family youtube channel that we have been doing all kinds of southern california adventures on it's called at main street asa so if you want to get on youtube and see what me and my wife and kids do on the weekends out here having fun and doing all kinds of adventures you can check that out I do spoiler alert baseball and beer <laughs> yep it's 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 disneyland baseball and beer <laughs> and and sometimes going to the beach so um it's a lot of fun and uh you know we we have a really good time and we kind of document our family adventures and you know if you like seeing that sort of thing and you get on youtube absolutely but you know my twitter feed is mainly you know me asking interesting questions retweeting and commenting and you know trying not to cause too much trouble <laughs> so uh, it's like um you know a guy that I was fort- like fortunate enough to uh you know have seen and talked to and heard many times before uh, a guy called Seth Godin says, yeah, go make a ruckus. Uh, and he means it in the best possible way. So when you get on yeah. Twitter, go make a ruckus. Um, it's, yeah. You yeah. Know, it's, it's a nice thing to do. Um, Chris, man, thank you so much for doing this. I think the, I think my audience is going to probably dig it. So thank you. Again. I hope so. Yeah. Feel free to, if anybody wants to reach out to me, ask any additional questions, let me know. So thank you for having me. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Chris Asa from Cal Poly Pomona. And I want to thank our sponsor, Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, 
Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out what they're up to, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. And as always, I want you to thank you for listening. You can find me on my website. That's www.davewakeman.com. You can also follow me on the Twitter at David Wakeman. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can um, find me all over the place. Um, if you like what I'm doing with the podcast, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, the whole lot, as far as I can tell these days. Um, and if you're so inclined, subscribe and leave a review. These things help, and they're awesome for helping expose the podcast to other people who might gain value from the content. Until next time, a thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>